Hi, and welcome to Movements and Sounds, a podcast focusing on contemporary Indigenous musics and sounds in Australia and issues related to this topic. At SOAS Radio, we are excited to bring stories from the other side of the world to our studio in London. Thanks so much for listening to Movements and Sounds. I'm Charlotte, the facilitator of this podcast. It is important to know that I am a non-Indigenous person, however I support decolonization and giving land back to Indigenous peoples. Today's guest is Dobby. Dobby is a Filipino and Murawari musician. He plays the drums, he plays piano, he raps on top of that. He has released several singles, an EP, and I know him to be quite busy with many, many different projects at the moment. I see Dobby as a cultural educator, a storyteller, and someone who is incredibly passionate about Indigenous issues, mainly in Australia. So Dobby, welcome. I just did a little bit of an introduction, but could you describe yourself in your own words, what it is that you do? <laughs> yeah. So my name is Ryan Clapham. I am a Filipino Murawari musician. So my mother is Filipino and my father is Murawari. His mother was born and raised in a place called Brewarina, which is northwest New South Wales in Australia. So there's a lot of, you know, connections to Australian ancestral lands for me in that particular area. And then also my connections to the Philippines through my mother. So this identity of mine, I express my, you know, cultural connections and my identity through my music. I'm a hip hop drummer. Uh, I call myself a drapper, a drummer and a rapper. Um, yeah. And so this is kind of how I navigate the world. And, and uh, you know, it's a through this music, I talk a lot about my lived experience as an Aboriginal person who, you know, like all other Aboriginal people around the world, see injustices and, you know, a lot of obstacles in our way in the history of our existence and also in the future that we need to keep fighting for. So that's what I talk about in my music. Fantastic. Uh, where are you talking from today? Yeah, so I'm talking on Gadigal Wangal lands. I'm in a city called Annandale in the inner west of Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and very, very, very happy to be here as well. It's really great to talk to you. Fantastic. Yeah, we're really we're on opposite side of the globe. I'm I'm in uh, in London at the moment, so this is really great. Um, I'm just wondering, how did you get into making music? How did that start for you? Yeah, like it. You know, the earliest influences of music was like from my mother, like singing karaoke with the family with Filipino. So there's always karaoke at the family get togethers. Everyone was singing, everyone, you know, uh, my grandfather, my mom would always tell me would be playing the p uh, the guitar. And then when I was around seven years old, mom, you know, strongly encouraged me to learn piano. And so she put me in piano lessons. <laughs> and at the time I hated it because, you know, I'm a, I'm a little kid and, you know, it, it, it was too much sitting in the one place and I felt it to be quite taxing for me, but it, it was, it was incredible to learn that. And now as a, you know, as an adult, I, I really cherish, you know, learning that as a young age and then learning drums in high school, And yeah, from that age, always being really like drawn to hip hop music. And then I started rapping and yeah, now just blending those three sorts of things together, the piano, the drums and rapping. Fantastic. And uh, you say you got drawn to hip hop. 
what are your sort of examples or what what music did you did you start listening to yeah I started listening to Missy Elliott Outcast oh my gosh that was my first album that I ever bought was Outcast Lauren Hill The Miseducation of course um The Far Side uh actually it's so funny that you're you're talking from London right so I remember I was a kid and I wanted to buy this album of the far side and they're like this incredible you know jazz rap group and I like was really into their first album and I asked to get their second album they said they needed to order it from London and I remember like why don't they have it here <laughs> I don't understand why I have to get it from London so I waited like two weeks and I ordered it from London and I got it and it was just the best thing ever definitely cherish those moments I'm catching you in a really interesting time as well. Uh, that wasn't even on purpose, but I know it's NADOC week. What does that mean for you? Yeah. I mean, look, NADOC week this week, this year is very strange for me because, um, you know, we're currently in lockdown and I would otherwise be on, you know, my ancestral lands, like my uh, grandmother's father, my great grandfather, old George Hira, he was born under a birthing tree on the Colgoa River one hour north of Brewarana. So this is Murawari country. And, you know, this is, uh, when you're there, you really, for me anyway, I feel it, you know, you feel just the dirt underneath you, you feel the air, you feel just feels right and warm. And um, I don't know, it's hard to describe that feeling. And I'm really missing country right now. I'm currently, you know, we're in lockdown in a city and just this whole week, The theme of NADOC week is called is heal, heal country, mm -hmm. healing country. And so it's bittersweet. You know, it's very, it's very bittersweet being able to celebrate NADOC week and, you know, everyone's fine. And we're very grateful that we're not under worse conditions with this pandemic in Australia. But at the same time, I really, you know, am thinking of country this week. And when I say that, I mean, I'm thinking of Murawari country. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, so NADOC Week, for people who are not too familiar with it, it's an abbreviation for National Aborigines and Islander Day Observance Committee. And it's a week in which you celebrate the First Nations cultures. So yeah, that must be very strange. I heard you mention the word country. We're also not using the word country as a nation state. What does country mean for you in, in the, the way that we're using it today? Yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, I I realize like this is a term that you know Aboriginal people use that is not necessarily like a universally in that way understood term. When when we say country, we're thinking of not just like Australia as the one country, but the two hundred and fifty distinct language groups you know that span across this vast land and so with those 250 different distinct language groups we have 500 to 700 dialects pre-colonially when speaking fluently these languages are so distinct that if you put someone from the east coast of australia on the west coast in western australia it would be like uh, someone speaking japanese to uh you know german uh or or something like that it's completely a different context and with the language it is integrated into and embedded within the understanding and the law, L-O-R-E and L-A-W, of the land and waterway. So the way we speak is embedded in song that dictates the seasons, you know, what animals we protect and care for, what animals are 
to be hunted respectfully at what's given time, um, specific areas for backburning in order to care for country. So like all of these different things are kind of, that's what I mean when I'm saying country, you know, I'm talking about not just the place, but how to engage with the place. And it's interesting because, um, as she said, you've also been living in cities. I heard you say Annandale in Sydney, Gadigal. Yeah. Uh, I know you've lived in Darawal, Bolongong. How do you feel a connection to those places? And while living there, how do you maintain your connection to country? Yeah, I mean, this is something that everyone can do as well, uh, you know, indigenous or not. If you know what country name you are standing on, I feel like that is the, you know, to the beginning to a really deep and meaningful connection to country. Wherever I stand, I have to think, you know, okay, I'm on Tharawal land, I'm on Gadigal land, I'm on Bidjigal, Wiradjuri, Murawari lands, you know, and wherever you go around this world, it's indigenous land to someone, no, no matter who you are. And I feel like this understanding of what those names are, they, they're like given clues to understand like what the meaning of this land and the waterways is, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one way that you can really connect with country is like knowing the place names. Yeah. It also makes me think about your, your song and the video <laughs> clip of I Can't Breathe, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you released that last year. We're now exactly one year further, I, th I think. Um, mm. And looking back on that time, how does it make you feel Again, it's like, uh, you know, there's mixed feelings about it. I'm the team that helped put the I Can't Breathe video together. You know, we, we worked so hard and we're so proud of it. But, you know, one year forward, not much has changed. Like the people who, you know, so the, the context of this story is that, uh, you know, when George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis in the States in June last year, 2020, we in Australia looked back in our own backyard and said, well, how come we are quick to stand up and fight for someone like George Floyd, but we don't even know the name David Dungay Jr. who was killed in the same exact way by not just one cop, but five police officers in a prison while being transferred from one cell to another, he was killed. He was, you know, the cops stood on the back of his neck and he was suffocated. And That was five years ago, six years ago now, and not one of those five police officers have been convicted or or even charged. And so multiply that by 400 and I think we're up to, you know, 95 or something like that of the same story, same way uh, since 1991. So you mean Only. those those are the the deaths in custody that the indigenous those are the deaths in custody yeah that's yeah. the amount of people that have died either at the hands or neglect of police yeah. officers and when I say neglect I'm talking about people who have been left in cells or in paddy wagons in you know 60 degree Celsius heat that have just burns you know melted in that in those paddy wagons because of the neglect of police officers it's not humane it's why are people dying in the in custody that's not the reason or the purpose for these systems and to ignore what's happening is pretty despicable if you ask me so that's what that song was about it was called i can't breathe because david dungay said those same words mm -hmm. and yes like that i'm we're so proud that the song has reached so many people and a lot of people have viewed the the video and it's gotten a lot of attention in the media 
but still to this day those cops haven't been convicted and so we have to ask like what is the purpose of music and how do we push that puzzle piece forward you know yeah i watched a, a different interview with you i think it was on the 4e sydney online festival last year and you mentioned that you actually also received a lot of negative comments was that on social media yeah how do you then keep on going how do you feel about that yeah i still get that i still get bigotry directed to my phone in my pocket from time to time it goes ding and i look at it and it's you know someone telling me that you know but this is i came in fully aware that that would be what would happen when you talk about something that you just know people we as a country as a nation in australia are not educated on Barker and I are both very aware that this is going to rattle a few cages and this is, you know, the truth telling that we need. We said to ourselves if it's not getting that reaction that we've we've not reached the right people. And this is the whole thing. Like in June last year we were talking to ourselves and we were like how do we get outside outside our bubble? Mm-hmm. Because preaching to the choir doesn't do anything. Well, it does something and it has a place and it has a purpose, but real change comes from finding the perimeter right and finding the the boundaries and pushing that outwards so we needed to be able to reach those people that are going to call us you know racist ourselves or justify that david dungay was a criminal or any other conspiracy theories that you know you could imagine so it meant that it was working Yeah, right. It's very admirable to have that still very positive attitude towards this. Also about the justice system, I think what is important to know is the indigenous population of Australia is only 3%. Yeah, 3% of us are indigenous and 33 I think that's right, 33% are represented in our jail system, but with only 3% of us being indigenous, how can that be? It's completely disproportionate. And then even you know Dondale Detention Center where Dylan Voller was that was international news how we were there, there was footage of him he's a young kid at the time he was like under 18 in a youth detention center with a spit hood over his head and was like chained to this I don't know like it was like terrorism torture sort of methods and that detention center is 100% indigenous kids wow Yeah, and so like what what's really happening? What's going on, you know? So yeah. these are the questions we need to ask. These are the statistics we need to look at and if it starts if the conversation starts with a song like I can't breathe, then we know that we're at least doing something to contribute to the truth telling in this that this nation really needs, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm really happy to be able to talk with you because it's like again, we can't just be preaching to our choir like within the nation, you know, we need to be talking globally about this. First Nations includes all First Nations people around the world, so it means a lot to be able to talk to you about this for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's really great. And thinking about indigenous people all over the world. So we've seen you work with Barca. Do you work with artists from overseas with other indigenous people or do you, are you thinking of doing that? I really want to. Like that <laughs> that would be the dream. There's this one Yeah, since COVID we've been doing like, you know, a lot of uh, Zoom meetings and whatnot and I've been grateful and lucky enough to be a part of some Zoom meetings for the Indigenous Music Summit in Turtle Island, Canada. Uh so I think it's based out in Toronto. 
I could be very wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Toronto, led by Shoshana Kish, Anish Nabwe, incredible uh, uh, artist and, you know, facilitator for First Nations peoples. And I talked with a young man, his name is Chuteskut. And I'm just manifesting here because he's like an incredible artist, um, an amazing artist based out in um, L.A. And the work that he does in terms of hip hop and First Nations rap is just like so dope. And I'm very much a big fan of him. And so I want to work with people like that for sure, because it would be so great to see like global First Nations hip hop, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how do you reach each other? So you just talked about a summit. Um, do you connect over social media? Yeah, yeah. Just connecting over social media. Like we've we've been into sort of panels together. So right. we're definitely, you know, aware of each other. And I guess the next step is for me to just message him on Instagram and just message like First Nations peoples in general on Instagram seems to be like sometimes the best way to reach people. You know, I feel like that's a good message for anyone out there. If you like want to what's the harm, you know, what, what, what's there to lose to just send a message out there to, to someone you look up to and just be like, Hey, I love what you do. I love your work. It, you know, gets me through the day. How, how is it for you creatively to work with other people in general, in terms of making music, in terms of, you know, making those incredible videos as an artist? I love it. I absolutely love it. Like creation, because it's your story that you bring to the table. And so whenever you work with anyone in particular, you're, sort of combining both like two perspectives together and it's always refreshing to see what their perspective would be and just how they interact with music and it's it's just it's fun you know I just love it and just a word about like First Nations artists it's refreshing you know when you hear artists like Baka or you hear artists like you know like Dallas Woods, Dreaming Now, Briggs, our art is a particular narrative that 20 years ago people weren't even talking about in mainstream 10 years ago, actually, like no one was talking about it. And now it's like, we're hearing new stories. It's refreshing, you know, and it's important. Absolutely. Thinking about your song with Barca and cities and places, I find striking that, you know, you use these very typical sort of Sydney images. So the little lanes with the lanterns, I forgot the name of the street. Oh, um, what is that? Angel, angel place? Like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like very like, <laughs> sort of. Um, and also, um, you know, you rap in front of the, the Captain Cook statue. Do you feel like making music in these particular spaces and then capturing it on video does mm. something to those spaces? Do you feel like you change those spaces with your music? Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, absolutely. I'm trying to figure out the best way to answer that question because that just sent my mind racing. I was like, yes, because uh, this, 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 <laughs> like take the the Captain Cook statue, you know, as you were saying that it reminded me, we never got this on footage, which is so annoying, but I actually was up on the higher level of that statue wrapping. Mm -hmm. uh, we started there and then some cops came out of nowhere and said, you have to get down. And they asked us what we were doing. And we were like, we're shooting a music video. And they said, you can't be up there. And I wish we had that on film. I wish we had that on film, but we didn't. We didn't capture that, unfortunately. But that says something about how protected that statue is, right? And so, you know, it's meaning making. Everyone sees that statue. And depending on the person that you are, you have a particular affiliation and association with that statue and what it means. 
you know, for a non-Indigenous person, typically it could be something like that is my identity because that's the person that discovered, quote unquote, Australia. To an Indigenous person, typically they would say this represents loss of my family, loss of my community, cultural genocide, white Australia policies, assimilation, and everything else. So it represents something much sort of deeper. That that story is, one, obviously more truthful, and two, it is triggering and really sort of, what's the word, loaded. Places really can trigger something. I knew that if I had that in the video, it would really challenge your association with that statue. If a white person saw that video, it could be really jarring for them and it would really challenge them. And I knew that's that's what we wanted, you know. It's all meaning making. It sort of ties into, I'm thinking, you know, who, who then is your audience? And do you even yourself, do you direct your songs to a specific audience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the songs generally, it's it's the direction I wanted to take it was kind of to vent my anger um, and vent my frustration but also you know the video was directed by two incredible friends of mine really talented amazing people Luke Curry Richardson and Benjamin Ling and so and we've worked together both of us you know in different capacities for years so to have them on board was like Again, a great collaboration because they brought their own perspective to it. And I'm glad I had Bala Luke, Luke Curry Richardson on board because he's like a staunch, incredible Aboriginal uh, and Islander storyteller, you know, not just a dancer, not just a poet, but he's a storyteller. So we connected in that way. And um, I guess like the audience that we wanted to direct it to is, again, like not to preach to the choir, to try and get more and more people to see it. We wanted to get like wider Australia to see it. And I, I think in some capacity we did. I don't know how far it could have reached if one thing or another, but we're glad that it reached the people that it did. Actually, to the point where I remember, if I, I'll, I'll tell you this really quick story, I started to get like all this hate on my phone, like all these notifications. And it was like, da da da. Like this one guy actually in particular was like, yeah, you know, you're not even indigenous. You don't look indigenous. And all these like preconceived notions of what an indigenous person sort of looks like based on skin color which for our history and our context in Australia has nothing to do with your connection to culture because in the 20s and beforehands, they tried to breed Aboriginal people out by forcing, you know, black folks to, uh, you know, interbreed with white folks and to kind of breed out the colour. Um, so this was like a government, national government practice. Colorism is, is really like a, you know, it's, it's a bigger conversation. But it's about your connection to country. Anyway, so I got all this like messages and I was like, what is going on? And all these people were like really angry on the I Can't Breathe video. And I found out there was an article that sort of said that there has been new learning resources for schools in New South Wales to teach racism and to teach kids about discrimination. And my song was included as a learning resource, wow. which is awesome. That's amazing. And like, I was like, wow. But in the article, it said uh, this person, I think uh, something, Diabrera, founder of the Western Civilization Foundation, uh, you know, was like, this is indoctrination and we shouldn't be teaching our kids to be social justice warriors. And because of that article, everyone was directed to my video to spread all this hate and negativity and bigotry and ignorance. And I was like, it's working. 
that's wow, yeah, that's you've exactly that, you've reached yeah. that, that segment that yeah. that group of of that's uh, it. yeah Australians yeah it's a reach <laughs> that's incredible yeah and so again mixed feelings like I was like don't get me wrong I was upset I was like oh this is really terrible you know like but you know we 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 wanted to reach them so we were glad <laughs> yeah so your song is actually used as a resource now in in education yeah yeah it's so good it's it's i'm very grateful barker and i are just like really open about that. To primary school well it's more for like so my and this is big ups to my cousin jessica williams because she you know she called me up and well she she put the song and video into learning resources for i think it's like kids years five to seven so like end of primary school early high school right and I think yeah and and people I think have used that and expanded on that slightly as well yeah, and you also mentioned the word venting um <laughs> do you use it as a bit of a is it a therapeutic way to deal with with all that's going on yes mm-hmm. definitely for that song in particular as well like very much so so I turned on the TV around June last year and I saw on Sunrise, which is, you know, one of the news channels here, uh, there was this Australian woman, non-Indigenous white woman in Los Angeles, I think, or or it was it was somewhere in the States and she was interviewing and asking questions to, yeah, you know this one. Yes. She was talking <laughs> to the Black Lives Matter protesters and just saying like, you know, very like, you know, if I could say so, ill-informed, misinformed questions like why are you rioting? Why are you looting? When they weren't, they were peacefully protesting the death, murder of, you know, one George Floyd. So I was like, this is very rude, very condescending. And then at the end of her report, she goes, oh, you know, thanks for telling me all about that because we back home don't have the history of police killings in Australia. And I just like was so upset and just outraged by that, along with, you know, thousands and thousands of other, you know, yeah, lots and lots of people here were like, what are you talking about? Because we definitely have that history of police killings here in Australia. You don't even know about the history. And I was like, I felt so helpless because obviously she's in the States and I'm back at home and I can't say anything to like, I just wanted to jump through the screen and be like, she's wrong we do and we see you and we feel you, you know, and so out of that came I Can't Breathe where I start off by saying, you know, I'm sick of having to explain myself. They want to know the history. The pain might help. They're making me wild, need to restrain myself. If I were you, I would educate myself. It's kind of directly at people like that reporter who either don't know or refuse to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, um, it's not a history. It's it's happening today, every day. Right so. now, that's right. Yeah. The urgency is is there. Yeah. Um, going ahead in time now, we're, we're here today. And I also know that you have this project going on, a really great project, Warungu River Story. Explain, tell me, what what is it? <laughs> what can you tell yep. us about that? Yep. Um, so this is a project really close to my heart. And, you know, I've been working on this for years now, actually. 2017 is when I started, like, planting the seeds for a story like this and researching. But it's, so Warangu means river in Namba language, which is the language of Briwarana area. And it's a river story because I am following the law and cultural stories of three rivers that go through Briwarana. One is the Barwon, the Barwon River, and then up north is the Colgo River, and then back down is the Bogan River. 
And so these three rivers actually intersect all together within one kilometer of each other, which is really beautiful. And it all feeds into the greater Murray-Darling Basin. Rivers to my people are very important. They're the lifeblood of the community. They're the the lifeblood of the people. It brings not just like sustenance and, and, you know, food as in the fish and the birds that flock to it. It's a trading place. You know, it lays down the boundaries for Motawari people, Nyamba people, Wewan people, Barkindji people, which is Barkas people, you know, so it's kind of the lie of the lands that sort of dictates, you know, the language groups and the trading spots. This is all knowledge that I'm so proud to have known and to learn through this project you know, through one Brad Steadman, he's like a, a, he's an incredible, very knowledgeable man in Brewarina who's been teaching me language for this project. Is that the man Sorry? here on um, this online festival you were participating in last year? There was this one song in which you recorded a conversation and you were walking down the Barwon River, I think, or even in the Barwon River when it was dark. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's him. Yeah. And so it starts with me and him walking down the Bergen River and it's, you hear the footsteps, it's like the crackly, you know, dry footsteps of the riverbed. We're like in the river, but there's no water, you know, and then it ends with that. And the reason that I wanted to sort of frame this story that way is because we're not just talking about the stories and the cultural significance of these rivers. I'm also talking about what's happening now to the rivers. Like in Australia on the big newspapers, we call it drought. It's not just a drought. This is also mismanagement of our water system on a grand level, on a grand scale. The cotton farm industry and the almond plantations, all these people who are irrigating water throughout the Murray-Darling Basin, it's water theft at a grand scale. Like People are over-irrigating and sucking the Murray-Darling Basin dry so that all this money can be made for cotton profit. And then all the farmers, black, white, everyone are suffering at the moment. And it got so bad at the end of 2019, it even led to like 1 million fish dying in the bottom of like closer to the, you know, lower Southwest of the Mm -hmm. state. 1 million fish died from blue-green algae. And it's like just a national tragedy. You know, if you look at the Sydney Harbour, the Sydney Harbour, it's like two Sydney Harbours worth of water has been irrigated. So it's corporate greed. And so this is also what the story is about. Like we're talking about the necessity of these rivers and it takes away the lifeblood of the people. It takes away the ecology of these species, birds, fish. It takes away the economy of our peoples as well. So it's it's a big story. And with climate change and over-irrigation, it's just going to get worse and worse. So sadly, this this story, you know, I think each summer will be very relevant. It brings us to like a really global sort of need to for, for awareness and the position that First Nations people are in and how they can actually be actually a way to sort of re-empower the world by their knowledge about these natural systems, the, the traditional systems that were there in pre-colonial times. I'm also thinking, you know, you were talking about end of 2019. And I remember that was also the time of, of course, the bushfires in Australia. Yes. Um, I was just thinking about that as well. Like, yeah, the knowledge, the knowledge of these, uh, you know, of the land is the same bits of knowledge that would have prevented the bushfire, bushfires. You know, if we learned how to backburn and to properly like 
put First Nations people in the front seat to be able to operate with country in mind, these bushfires would have never gotten as big as they are, as they had gotten in at the start yeah. of 2020. And this ties so. again to this this global idea of, you know, indigenous peoples anywhere. We have, yeah. to, we have to be really mindful of that. Think about Brazil, think about California. There's been so many. Now in Canada, I think, where it's yep. the highest temperature in mm. a long time, you know, um, yep. it's necessary. Yeah. And then you look at the, you know, like the Dakota Access Pipeline and all the other pipelines that run through the states and also, yeah, like the Amazonian rainforest. And it's just a conversation that is really more relevant than I think people realize. And it's all interconnected. Exactly. And not just for Indigenous people, everybody on the planet. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Wow. I know that, you know, in a lot of traditional, I call it music, you may call it corroborees, you know, ceremony, <laughs> yes. uh, whatever you, you want to call it really. But um, in a lot of traditional, let's let's just say performances, ways on living on how to live on the land is, is very important. And do you feel like what you're doing now is a sort of continuation of that tradition in your own way? I think so. I feel like there there's something to be said about all of these indigenous rappers. Like hip hop is so applicable or can be applied to, you know, indigenous culture so so seamlessly it seems. Like you know, you look at the four elements of hip hop which is, you know, DJing and MCing and breakdancing and graffiti. The same way with Aboriginal culture, you've got, you know, the breakdancing is the corroboree, like the dancing, but the body paint, the ochre that we use to paint ourselves up, the dirt, you know, maps and the engravings and the, you know, paintings on caves and what, and rocks. And it's all kind of the same thing as well as oral storytellings is our emceeing. That's our teachings from play, from generation to generation. And then the music is the DJing. Like we've got the, the didge up north and we got the boomerang and we got the clapsticks and we got the possum skins. So it's culture. And so I think there's something to be said about how, one, how hip hop is so celebrated in Aboriginal culture, like Barker, like, um, you know, Dreaming Now, like uh, Kobe D as storytellers. But then there's also the potential. Like now we can start to really look at, you know, I mean, people are already doing it. Baker Boy, Barker again, like with my project, Wadonga River Story, I want it to not just be like a hip hop album. I want it to be cultural. And maybe for many different reasons, it, it can't replace culture. It can never, nothing can ever replace culture, but it can stand as something that informs it. It's culturally informed. It's not a song line, but man, maybe in the future it could be. Like maybe there are ways to really respectfully, and I just, like that's my dreaming. Like that's what I think about a lot is like how that would sound and how that would look and how, what performance will mean in the future for us. You know, it's very exciting. I think this is a really beautiful and sort of fresh take on the connection between hip hop and traditional Mm -hmm. cultural expressions really. When I think about, you know, how come hip hop is such an important medium for, you know, indigenous musicians in Australia, you automatically start to think about, you know, okay, marginalized people, people of color, and, you know, you're bringing the conversation in a whole different way. And I think that is Mm. that is connecting it to First Nations traditions, pre-colonial traditions. That's yeah. Yeah. Very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
it's so beautiful to see. And I just like, I don't know, I get, I get excited when people like Baka say, you know, Namaka or, or, or Bayami or and that is we're so like cool. using yeah. culture in, in hip hop. And it's like, wow, like it's so exciting. Yeah. 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 And that is something that your songs do as well. I mean, I learned about Bayami through um, your welcome song, for example. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time. So for people listening, if they want to follow you, how can they follow you? Where are yes, you? you can find me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm available. I'm available. I'm <laughs> you can find me everywhere as Dobby, D-O-B-B-Y, and then A-U for Australia. That's Dobby A-U on Instagram and Facebook and Dobby on Spotify and iTunes, YouTube. It's it's been so great talking with you and really, really great to be able to have this conversation across the other side of the world. It's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. I hope um, I hope it inspires a lot of people to start following you, to listen to the stories, the songs. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to Movements and Sounds. This is a not-for-profit podcast. However, thanks to the SOAS Student Enterprise Fund, for every episode, a donation will be made to SeedMob, an indigenous-led organization in Australia fighting for climate justice. Find out more about this incredible organization on seedmob.org.au. See you at the next episode.